The third La Nina year in a row is putting a damper on hopes for a more temperate weather forecast in 2022. What should farmers be watching as the new crop season comes into focus? That's today on Field Posts. is a DTN Progressive Farmer podcast that dives deeper into the most important trends in agriculture to explore the business's cutting edge. I'm your host, Sarah Mock. As Plant 22 gets underway across the country, farmers are variously battling high winds, wet soils, cold temperatures, and drought. As we look ahead to what looks to be a hot, dry year, not only in the U.S., but also in other key growing regions around the world, Weather promises to play a major role in operations and in informing the market in the year to come. DTN's team lead for ag weather, John Baranek, joins us today to provide an overview of what we might expect to see in the year ahead, from the lingering winter weather in the coming weeks to the likelihood of a parched summer across much of the U.S. We'll talk changing drought conditions, La Nina effects, extreme weather, and wildfires, in addition to discussing a far future look at what harvest weather might have in store. John also offers perspective on spotting and understanding weather wildcards and points out which trends, both in the U.S. and abroad, he thinks might be most likely to change. Right after this word from our sponsor. Today's episode is brought to you by MyDTN. In today's environment, it's essential, more than ever, to get the most current and accurate information to help save your valuable resources and continue to be profitable. Get access to all the information you need to deal with this change from DTN. As the leading independent trusted source of actionable insights and market information, MyDTN gives you accurate weather forecasts, the most extensive database of grain bids, and the most timely news and analysis from our award-winning news team. These features and more are available 24-7 via desktop, laptop, and any mobile device to be with you on the go. Learn more at mydtn.com and start a free 14-day trial. Now, back to the show. Team lead for Ag Weather, John Baranek, joins us today to discuss the 2022 crop year forecast. John? We're here at the very beginning of April. Planting is underway in some places, getting started in others. Talk to us a little bit about your overview as of today. Where are we in terms of spring planting? Yeah, so really it's kind of a tale of two halves here across the U.S. If you look across the West and into most of the plains, we're sitting in long-standing drought in these areas. If we look towards the East, basically, if you take from Minnesota to to Louisiana and points eastward, that kind of the opposite issue where we've got either normal, normally wet soils or overly wet soils, and it's been limiting us in terms of field work either way. So you know, a lot of people out in the West are looking for a little bit more precipitation to get into the ground before they can start really getting into it. And people in the east are really just kind of trying to wait for it to dry out a bit so they don't have to deal with so much compaction and everything. It's been a little bit cool too, especially in the month of, of March across the plains here. We had several systems come through that brought in some colder weather. It hasn't been as cold across the east. It's been really slow to warm up. Soils have been. 
pretty slow to warm up here so far. And this month too, we've been dealing with some cooler temperatures. We've got some more coming in now here as we talk today across much of the country. And that's going to be kind of an issue here for the rest of April as well. Talk to us a little bit about the winter that we just had coming into this. I think drought was peak on people's minds, maybe seeing some snowfall that might change the equation there. And then talk to us about this lingering cold and what kind of effects we might see of that later in the season. Yeah, over the winter, we saw La Nina had a huge impact on our weather for the winter season. And typically what we see out of a La Nina is hot and dry conditions across the southern U.S. And that definitely showed up in a big, meaningful way. Going back to really last fall, we saw drought really starting to increase across the central plains and southern plains here late in the fall. And uh, it just really exacerbated all the way through the winter season. We had very rarely did we get precipitation events basically from West Texas all the way up to Western Kansas and a lot of Nebraska as well. So we really saw the, the drought just expand exponentially. Up towards the north, though, we saw a lot of a decrease. Last year was a significantly droughty year here in the northern plains and even parts of the upper Midwest as well. And over the wintertime, we saw clipper after clipper bring light snowfall events here and there, sometimes a little bit of rain, but mostly these light snowfall events. And that kind of built up a little bit to eliminate drought across the eastern Dakotas, much of Minnesota. And then over the last several weeks, we're starting to see that kind of eliminate the drought out of Iowa and the, the lingering parts of, of northern Illinois and uh, Wisconsin as well. So, you know, we've seen an improvement there. Where we haven't really seen the improvement in the pattern from the pattern was actually uh, across Montana and west of the Missouri River in the northern plains. We didn't really see much uh, improvement out of that. Those clipper systems didn't really have a whole lot of moisture with them as they moved through. And you're right, it has been cold and we, we're still dealing with the lingering cold. We're actually looking at a pretty significant event coming up here ne- next week. That's going to keep that cold lingering here into the, the later half of the month. You know, if, if, what we're going to see is, is some temperatures warming up here across the southern plains and into the eastern Midwest out ahead of it. But as it comes through, we're going to see a, a huge snowfall event across the northern plains and into northern Minnesota. We're still working out the details on exactly where and how much, but it, everything's pointing to upwards of a foot of snow. You know, this part of the the, the season, we, we're not really looking for snow. We're looking for rain because we don't want the soils to be so, so cold for so long here. Um, these parts of the western Dakotas, Montana, Wyoming, western Nebraska, who are still dealing with a lot of the drought and still on the minds of a lot of folks are, are going to be, I guess, happy to see at least some precipitation, even if it is in the form of snow. But then that's followed by some colder temperatures here. For, the, for about the week after that, and then we'll be bouncing around until we go into the middle of May. We're still dealing with the cold here lingering. That's limiting our field work. It's limiting our planning progress. The soils are slow to warm up, even in the eastern Midwest, where it may not be as cold because we don't get the snow. The, the colder temperatures that follow aren't going to help soil temperatures uh, increase. And it's been so wet out there that the wetter soils actually take longer to warm up than drier soils out in the West. It's a a limiting factor for just about everybody, even though it's different in different parts of the country. And we're looking towards May as some better windows for getting out there. But I know a lot of folks are really antsy trying to find the windows where they can to get out there and plant and and, and do their field work, prep work ahead of time. And it's going to be really difficult to do that and find some extended periods of that. It's just we just don't see that coming up. I want to take a little bit 
um, of a wider view here and bring in a couple of those elements that you mentioned, the La Nina effect this year and the you know potential for some more precipitation, especially in those drought prone areas. As you're looking ahead to the summer and a little bit later in the year, any kind of big trends that you're following that might alter the conditions that we've been seeing build up for the last several months? It's really interesting, the whole La Nina situation, because if we were to talk about this probably about four months ago, five months ago, almost every single computer model was pointing towards getting out of La Nina and into this neutral state where you're neither in La Nina or El Nino. And that kind of, you know, leads things to be more up in the air. But recently, and the American climate model was actually the first to kind of grab onto this, is we've been stuck in the La Nina conditions and this, the, the American model has been continuing it through the summer and into the next fall, which will be that now the third La Nina in a row. That's very rare to happen. We did see it in the early 2000s, but it, it's, it is a rare occurrence to happen. And a lot of the other co- climate models that are, are run throughout the world, basically every developed nation has their own climate model and um, how they've typically been going towards a neutral state in the summer have trended towards our American model where they're saying, eh, maybe we won't get up into that neutral category. Maybe we'll stick in this La Nina or at least on the cold side of neutral going through the summer and into the fall. And that's not a good sign for a lot of these areas that are already in drought. Typically what La Nina tends to favor is a big, heavy ridge across the middle of the country that leads to warm conditions or hot conditions, depending on where you're at. You know, up in the northern U.S. where I'm at in, in Minnesota, hot for me is 90 degrees. But down in uh, the southern plains, we're thinking more days in the hundreds in the upper 90s. And uh, unfortunately, it also leads to drier conditions across the middle of the country as well. So all these areas that are in drought, if, if we can't get out of the La Nina conditions, I, I fear that we will stay in them and get worse throughout the summer season. In the eastern Corn Belt, it's a little bit more mixed. We don't see as strong of a signal for significant warm-ups. Last year was similar where we had a lot of hot temperatures out in the plains, and that didn't really translate to the east, the eastern Corn Belt or the east coast, really. We tend to favor more mixed conditions, but it tends to be on the warmer side of neutral if you take everything into account. But what's different about our forecast for the Eastern Corn Belt this year is that we don't see the good precipitation like we saw last year. Last year season, the Eastern Corn Belt did great with rainfall. They ended up with really good yields and it balanced out the poor conditions we had in the Western Corn Belt and in the Western states. What we're seeing for this summer season, though, unfortunately, is a lot of this droughty conditions in the West kind of speckle themselves into the eastern Corn Belt. So we'll still get showers. We'll still get periods of showers. Though, but they're just more likely to be less frequent and less intense. And that tends to favor more regional drought popping up. So um, just here and there, they keep getting missed by these thunderstorm events that move through. And those tend to lead to some regional drought conditions. And, you know, that's... For some areas, it's not going to be too bad, even if drought develops. If you get just enough rainfall at just the right time, even in drought, you, you tend up to be okay. I think on a wide scale, the risk for drought affecting more of the country this year is greater than it was last year. So, you know, it's not an outlook I like to tell people, but it's kind of the reality we're looking at and the forecasts we're given. If you look at years gone by that look similar to where we are at this year, tends to favor those drier conditions in the summer, hot and dry conditions in the summer, and all the computer models are leaning that way too. So we've got pretty good agreement 
between the conditions we look at to say, unfortunately, it looks like it's going to be a hot and dry summer. Well, and I think the thing that comes to mind when we think about those hot, dry summers are two things that are related, but probably mostly affect different areas. I want to ask about both winds and wildfires. We're not that far out from the devastating derechos. So I'm curious whether one, like wind as like an extreme weather event for, especially for these really dry areas, are you watching anything that kind of makes you concerned about wind trends and then As that relates, as we get a little further west to the wildfire conditions going into, I would say the wildfire season, but I don't really know that there is a wildfire season (laughs) anymore. What are your concerns there and how are you thinking about uh, the 2022 year? Yeah, so winds are a little interesting because um, it doesn't tend to uh, occur with precipitation events as much as it does just the, the regular background winds when large systems move through. During the springtime, we see a lot of large systems moving through. It doesn't matter. The change in temperatures, the length of the day changing, everything just favors windier conditions in the springtime anyway. We've seen a lot of that here, even this past week, where much of the planes were hitting over 60 mile an hour for three days in a row. It's incredible. And every time we get these strong systems, the the one next week I mentioned also should have some strong winds with it. When we talk about the summer, winds are, are typically due to those thunderstorm systems, complexes, and with the droughty conditions with the lower than normal precipitation we're expecting across a good majority of the country. I think the risk for any significant derecho is, is or long tracked severe line of thunderstorms is lower than normal. Doesn't mean it won't happen. And we will see severe weather over the summertime. We, you just can't get away from it. But I think the risk for it being widespread and having a, a major impact on agriculture this year is, is below normal. Now, the wildfire risk is opposite of the hot and dry conditions, just and the, the combined with the drought we're already in across basically the western half of the country. It just increases the wildfire risk. You're right. There really isn't a wildfire season anymore, especially when you're marred in drought for years upon years. But typically, we see that kind of start up here in June where we get really hot and dry. The western states really get their precipitation over the wintertime and early spring. Getting out of that now really... Basically, when we start May and going into early June is when we see that increasing a bit, but we still have fires out there right now. But that, that translates into the plains, too, where we have all the drought. You know, a lot of the forage areas are drying up. We could talk about livestock, but those with pastures out there are really hurting for with the drought. And that just leads to if you've got a little bit of overgrazing, all you got stubble out there, It's wildfires will spread quickly in that, especially with the heat coming up. This summer, the wildfire risk is definitely elevated throughout the western half of the country, and that includes all up and down the plains as well. I want to switch gears a little bit and talk more about the Corn Belt and the eastern part of the U.S. You mentioned the a little bit of wetness and dealing with the inverse of the problems in the West. Are you looking at flood concerns going into the early part of this year in the eastern part of the U.S.? Luckily, no. We didn't really get a huge snowpack across um, much of the country. We did see it in the tri-state area of the, the the Dakotas and Minnesota. They had an increased snowfall up there. There's a little bit up in the UP of Michigan. But for the most part, a lot of us saw below normal snowfall. And with that means we didn't really have much of a snowpack and warmer conditions coming in and out ate away at that nice and slowly. So we didn't really have a whole lot of flood concerns along the rivers. What we're really going to be concerned with then is flash flooding from some of these severe weather events or, or heavy rainfall events that move through. And those are a, a quick and easy way uh, of, of getting something in there to, to really flood things out. But again, the spring has been, for the most part, 
below normal in terms of precipitation. We've seen several larger events and things that definitely kept rainfall and, and soil moisture being a little bit elevated. And that kind of leads to the risk of if we were to get a heavier rainfall event, it's more likely to flood than if we were drier. But overall, the flood risk, I don't think is very high this year. We haven't seen a whole lot. Some of the rivers and streams where we see a little bit uh, burst in the banks at times when we get a heavier rainfall event, but nothing overly widespread. And uh, not really anticipating that as well going forward. Again, we're going to probably see a few events in here where things just set up perfectly. You get thunderstorms consecutive days in a row, and that just happens. But uh, the overall risks, for especially in, in, in the spring here, are pretty low in terms of a significant flood risk. And the flip side of the wildfire risk seems to be the hurricane risk going into this season. And maybe if you're talking about some of those severe, kind of more random weather events, hurricanes seem to fall into that category more and more. How are you tracking the hurricane season this year? And do you think it has the potential to have some big impacts on agriculture? Yeah, unfortunately, I'm not smart enough for the the tropical stuff. But some of our long-range forecasters here at DTN are into that. And uh, from what they tell me, Usually during La Nina conditions or even our our neutral conditions, uh, it tends to favor an increase of tropical systems in the Atlantic Basin throughout the course of the year. Usually we'll see a a few of them a little early. We've seen a lot of those happen in June, actually, which is a little early. Usually our peak season is late August through early October. But increased numbers of hurricanes and tropical systems does not necessarily mean that they'll impact the U.S., and uh, what our long-range forecasters are telling us are, are that, you know, with the big ridge we're expecting across the middle of the country, that means that we'll probably have a trough near the eastern side of the U.S. And that does two things. One, it's hard to conceptualize without showing a picture, but it, it tends to deflect storms coming from the Atlantic away from the U.S. and back out to the Atlantic when they're approaching. But if you get the right conditions and you get that kind of trough to be in the right spot, it can actually pull it into the Northeast. We see an increased risk for Northeast impacts for tropical systems, but across the Mid-Atlantic and Southeast, even down into Florida, those risks are a little bit uh, lesser than what we typically see during a season. Um, You know, there are rare events anyway. We usually see a couple of them, and I'm sure we'll see probably a couple of systems Anyway, moving into the southeast and mid-Atlantic states, so these big, intense ones that, that cause widespread flooding and wind damage to agricultural areas in the southeast are probably low. The expectation here is it's less likely to occur this year than in some of the previous years. I want to ask one last question before we switch gears and talk a little bit about the outside of the U.S. picture. But I think with planting, getting started in earnest and being able to get some of this early season activity out of the way, the next big, especially with where global stocks are and grain prices are at the moment, the next big time that people will be paying attention to is the fall and whether, you know, how this crop comes out of the field. We're many months away from that still and and long range forecasts are less certain than short range forecasts. But uh, give us a sense of what you know about what could be possible this fall. Yeah, you're definitely right about the uncertainty there. And it goes along with that uncertainty in the La Nina forecast. The trend has been towards keeping La Nina in place. But if they're wrong and uh, we head up to to neutral state here, and we could see something different. So everything I'm about to tell you is predicated on the fact that we'll probably have the cold side of neutral or La Nina conditions continuing here through the fall. And what we may see here is a period of 
improved rainfall across the eastern Corn Belt in the, the early fall, so around September. I could do two things. If we do have drier conditions over July and August that have been you know, leading to some poorer conditions, any of those later planted crops, especially soybeans that can take advantage of late rains, may be able to do so in September. But it doesn't really translate to the western Corn Belt at all. So we, we should still see hotter and drier conditions continuing into at least the early fall for when we're, we're going to harvest. I think the western side of the Corn Belt through the plains, better better conditions for pulling it out of the ground. But in the eastern Corn Belt, we may if, if you're trying to do it a little early, we may have a period in there where it's a little bit wet and it may be a little bit more difficult. As you go on through the fall season, though, the, the tendency is, is would be to dry out soils, make it a little bit easier. So if you're not able to do it there in September or perhaps in early October, I don't think we'll see an extension where we saw in, I think, 2019, where we the harvest season kind of lasts all the way into December. I don't think we'll have those kinds of issues this fall. The other thing to talk about with that would be winter wheat planting. If we get that soil moisture in September in the eastern Corn Belt for those soft uh, red winter wheat areas, might be pretty good for, for planting into that and getting a little bit of soil moisture there before winter sets in. On the flip side of that, for hard red winter wheat planting out in the plains, we're in drought. I don't see it going away in the summer. I don't see it improving in the fall at all. So I think we'll be planting into some dry soils as well this fall. Again, Less uncertainty with what I just mentioned about the fall season, but that's where we're, what the concerns we're looking at right now, at least six months in advance or so. Yeah, lots of uncertainty right now, not just with weather, but all over the, all across the board, I think, for farmers, including, I think, as we look at Latin America, the big weather market that's driving the global picture. Talk to us a little bit about what you are tracking in Latin America right now. And as the U.S. gets into the Corbett season, what the impacts might be. Yeah, South America has been very interesting this year. It's been good for us here in the U.S. for soybeans because they their soybean season, which is at least in Brazil, is what they plant first. They have a dual uh, planting season where they, they plant soybeans, harvest them, and then quickly plant corn and get a second season out of it. They call that the Safrina season. And their soybean season in Brazil did not turn out very good at all. They had drought developing the southern half of the country that extended all the way into Argentina as well. They had issue, they've had issues with drought down there in Argentina as well. And that really set them up with poor soil moisture there across southern Brazil. But central and northern Brazil did great. They had enhanced rainfall, their wet season, which in Brazil and central Brazil, they're a tropical climate. They usually get a wet season and a dry season instead of a, a winter and a summer. And uh, their wet season where they see daily showers and thunderstorms was very good for them, but it wasn't enough to offset the losses that we saw in southern Brazil. It left them with good soil moisture, though, for their safrina corn season, which we're now getting into. And everything looked great. We, we saw central Brazil planting into some good soil moisture. Southern Brazil started to pick up their showers here over the last several weeks, and we saw increases in soil moisture there. However, those showers that were in central Brazil are now in southern Brazil, and central Brazil has pretty much dried out over the last few weeks. We've seen soil moisture have declined rather significantly. So while early growth here on their corn has been really good kind of countrywide, we're really starting to see some concerns here of, in central Brazil about their available soil moisture because, as I said, they have a wet and dry season, and their dry season comes up here in the next couple of weeks. So if they don't get anything of significance here in the next couple of weeks, their 
going to be dealing with all kinds of moisture and heat stress in central Brazil, which is up like 60 to 70% of their total production area for safrinha corn. And that's that will be a huge deal if these rains do not come back. In the short term, over the next week, we're not anticipating much in the way of activity. We're going to see some showers move from Argentina into Brazil late next week. And the front to that kind of stalls out, but models have been backing off on the actual intensity and amounts and coverage of those showers that occur for about a week there in uh, mid to late uh, April. And then their wet season shuts down right after that. So they've got about a week of getting some potential soil moisture in there before they have to run through pollination and grain fill with limited or no soil moisture. And that's going to, there's been a lot of private and Public estimates, we'll get the WASDI out here today about what expectations are for corn production there in Brazil, but they've all pointed towards some better conditions early on. I, I got to imagine this the soil moisture threat is going to be a big one here for the next couple of months. So uh, something definitely to watch. Another thing to watch actually with La Nina is an increase in frost risk across southern Brazil. It typically happens in June and into July. And as long as they plant on a timely pattern, that risk is usually pretty low, even during the La Nina year. Uh, but they were a little bit delayed. We, I mentioned some of the showers moved back into southern Brazil here over the last several weeks, and, and they kind of got a little bit, they started out okay with their planting, but the tail end of it was a little slower. There's a significant portion of the crop there that might be at risk if we do get some frosty situations here in the month of June. If it waits till after that and goes into July, which is typical for them, we won't see an issue out of it. A June frost could mean additional pressures on the corn crop there in southern Brazil. So you know, dryness over central Brazil, potential frost over southern Brazil. You know, there's a lot of risk coming up to the corn crop, and that looks good for U.S. farmers, honestly. I want to ask about some other regions as well. And I think especially when we think about wheat, obviously the secondary big region is Eastern Europe. Eastern Europe obviously has some other uh, risks besides weather risk <laughs> at the moment and probably will for a while uh, to come. And I'm curious, one, how closely you're following weather in Eastern Europe as a determiner of you know potential global wheat crops or other crops. But I'm also curious whether has the war in Ukraine shifted your focus to where maybe some other regions, maybe Australia, maybe India have become more interesting to look at because maybe the world will be more dependent on some of these other regions in terms of filling global demand. Yeah, I can't talk to anything geopolitical. Everything is just what I've heard and from our analysts and everything like that. Um, I'll keep watching it because it is a huge area of production for wheat and corn. And if things just magically work out next week, they're going to be a major player in the world markets. So, you know, uh, whether or not that occurs is up for debate and depending on whatever Putin and uh, the Ukrainians work out here. But it's something I'm going to have to watch regardless. And I will continue to. Over the wintertime, we saw some pretty decent moisture, especially kind of December or November, December, January, moving through that Black Sea region of Ukraine and Southwest Russia. Weakened a little bit here in February. And in March, we, we saw some drier conditions, especially in Ukraine, and their soil moisture has dropped because of it. Their winter wheat crop, which is the majority of the crop of the wheat down there, not so much spring, but most of it's winter wheat. And we, we've seen that kind of, of pop out of dormancy here in, in some drier conditions in, in Ukraine in Ukraine especially. Last fall, they were dealing with drought in a lot of areas. So we had mixed development of root systems out there. So it's kind of 
kind of hard to decide. And, you know, with a lot of the uh, focus being political out there instead of weather, it's kind of hard to figure out how crops are doing out there. But, you know, what, what we're looking at here, if, if we just move beyond the war and, and what's moving forward here, month of April looks like it's going to be all right in terms of precipitation. And I think the wheat crop will do okay here this spring. I'm a little concerned about some dryness here at times. And if we get kind of heat to, to move in with the, those drier periods all the way through May and possibly into June, we, we could see some of that, you know, potential for an increased crop wane a bit. The, the summertime period is, is a little interesting just because La Nina is not a big driver in Europe or Central Asia. That doesn't really have an impact on things. But some of the other things that do are a little bit more uncertain. Things like the, the, the temperature of the ocean actually in the Atlantic and the North Atlantic have a, a bigger impact. And it's pointing towards we don't where we don't have a, a good signal either way of whether it'll be wet dry, but more than likely it'll be above normal temperatures. If they get the rain with the temperatures, they'll do great with the crop, either wheat or corn. But if it comes during a dry period, that, that's like the spring worries there. I think we might see some issues. So it's a lot less certain than some other areas of the world and how crop production is going to go if and when they get seed in the ground for corn and whether or not they can harvest their wheat. It's, it's a part of the world we're going to have to just continue to monitor for a lot of reasons. Weather's just going to have to be one of them as well. With that kind of being uncertain, you're right. India has come up a, a lot about how they're going to export a whole bunch of stuff. They've had really great conditions over the winter. Actually, they rely a lot on precipitation from the previous monsoon season. And uh, their monsoon was a pretty good monsoon last year. So they built up a lot of snowpack in the Himalayas that kind of feeds their irrigation systems across the northern portions of India and Pakistan. Um, and Australia, with La Nina, just is, is a fantastic provider of precipitation for the eastern corn be- or eastern wheat belt in Australia. And they've, they've just had just fantastic conditions. They start planting here and coming up in a week or maybe two, planting their winter wheat as they we're coming into our, our spring season. They're going through their fall season. They're flipped from us, if we can remember that. And uh, they've got just great soil moisture and continued La Nina conditions should just keep decent soil moisture around through the wintertime. Their springtime is a little bit interesting because we're expecting La Nina to continue, but it's at the edge of where we forecast. So there's a little bit of uncertainty with that. But everything in Australia is pointing to a good crop. They had a nice bumper crop last year. It looks on schedule to have another one this year. So, you know, there's a lot of interesting things going around the world due to to La Nina and and how the geopolitical thing is all factoring into things. And it's interesting to see how some of these players that aren't big players are certainly becoming some and how bigger players like Russia and Ukraine are becoming less and how that's all changing. That's a topic probably for somebody else to cover, but it's making me think a a lot more globally these days than perhaps we might've thought earlier. I just have one last question. Given so much uncertainty and so many different factors at play as we look to weather in the coming season, any kind of big wild cards that you are keeping an eye on or things that you're not certain are going to play a big role, but they could. And how do you kind of watch for those wild cards feels like the best word for them? Yeah, wild cards. That's an interesting way of putting it and probably a good descriptor because, you know, what I've been talking about have been just macro large scale things um, that affect regions and not specific localities and everybody's going to be a little bit different and even up and down the plains where we're talking about just kind of conditions being rather poor 
up and down, there's going to be pockets in there that do just fine. It's hard to pick out where those would be, especially when you're talking months in advance. Your local weather forecast is going to be a, a, a big determiner of, of how things are going for you, what you can do, when you should be planting, when you should be spraying and harvesting and, and everything like that. And it, it's hard to pick those out, but the the regionality of it, of the drought expanding into the Eastern Corn Belt, that I think is going to be a really interesting topic moving forward. And it's going to be hard to describe until you're several weeks away from it, whether or not it's going to be a huge impact. What's the timing of that? When does that really start to impact things? Is it, I talked about the summer just being poor. If it's for three weeks in there, is it going to have a huge impact or is it going to be six weeks long and just be devastating? It's a lot of the uncertainty that goes along with kind of the overall big picture stuff can really throw a wrench into what my thought process would be. If these lower than below normal rainfall tends out to be, you get a, a tenth of an inch every week, you end up actually all right with that. Even though your overall rainfall would be actually really poor and you'd see drought conditions developing in your area. You know, if you get it at the right time, crops do okay with that. Plants do all right with getting just enough at just the right time. I was talking to a uh, producer in Southeast Minnesota um, and he was mentioning he was in drought all last year. Minnesota was part of the the whole drought situation in the Northern Plains. And in his area, he was in drought all year long, but he got just enough rain, just enough time. And he ended up with above average yields. Some of these areas where you would just expect, you, know, you have drought covering an, an entirely large area, it might not end up being that bad. Now, it's hard to say that when you're in drought, it's being like, oh yeah, all these areas, they're going to be just fine. Well, they got a quarter of an inch of rain in June, so they'll be That'll be just fine. And you can't say that. And not for any wide areas, but there are going to be some areas there that do just fine. And it'll be interesting to see whether or not those can even out those bad areas at all. Or if if, if we see something that, that's totally um, totally devastating, unfortunately, which kind of, I hate to say doom and gloom, things like this. Uh, I don't typically like to, to talk like that because there's always risk in the forecast and everything, but you know, everything's pointing towards something where we're not going to be happy with our yields on a macro scale. Anything that puts stop to that ridge in the central U.S., if we get a nice week or two of some nice soaking rainfalls that just pop out of that drier pattern for any odd reason, it could be something where there's uh, a, a hurricane in the, the Pacific Ocean that just tends to move through the, the whole system and produces a good rainfall event across the U.S. Or if we get a hurricane to come up through the, the Mississippi River Valley and produce wide-scale rainfall at just the right time. If we can get the monsoon season, actually it starts up in the southwestern U.S. to be a little bit increased more than normal. We could see conditions in the West, maybe not so bad. And some of that moisture leaks out into the plains and, and we end up with some decent moisture. There's a lot of things that could happen that would negate some of this doom and gloom scenario that I've been mentioning. And unfortunately, we can't see those until they burn on our doorstep. I will be watching those very carefully, hurricanes especially, but anything in the upper level flow that would produce good widespread rainfall across the country at just the right time would be something to, to really kind of give a lot of us a sigh of relief for our crops. 
You can read John's full analysis and up-to-the-minute reporting on all things ag weather at DTNPF.com or in the monthly DTN Progressive Farmer magazine. This episode of Field Post was brought to you by the team at DTN Progressive Farmer, with special thanks to John Baranek. This episode was produced and edited by me, Sarah Mock, with support by Greg Hillier and Kylie Swanson. And a big thanks to all of you for listening. If you like the show, please rate, review, and subscribe wherever you listen to podcasts. And until then, remember, the future of farming is here. This episode of Field Post is brought to you by DTN Ag Weather Station. Are you looking to get more accurate, hyper-local weather information? By gathering weather and agronomic data directly from your own fields, DTN Ag Weather Station supports you when making targeted decisions around expensive or high-risk activities like chemical applications and irrigation. DTN's Ag Weather Station can be purchased for as low as $9 a month depending on your current customer status with DTN. If you're looking to increase your weather accuracy while saving time, please visit DTN.com.